We're, I'm not doing an Easter series, and so we thought we'll do a couple of Easter weekends full of songs. And certainly this week, as we remember, as we celebrate our Lord and His death and His resurrection, of course, next Sunday, there is nothing but the blood that can cleanse us from sin. And certainly we do need the Lord every single hour. And I tell you what, I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget it. Sometimes I live life on my own doing my thing and and sort of oblivious to my true need for the Lord each and every moment. And so that song, of course, convicts me as well. So let's pray together and, and confess our collective need uh, for the Lord and to hear His Word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we do, uh, we do indeed confess that we need You this hour. And Lord, without You, without You in this next moment, in this next hour, as we look at Your Word, Lord, then all we've heard is a good speech about the Bible. Lord, without your Holy Spirit's guidance, without the touch of Jesus Christ, Lord, we have done nothing but waste time this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts to greater affection for you, that you would convict us of sin, that, Lord, you would remind us again of your grace and your love for us. Lord, in all that we do, may we bring honor and glory to you as you change our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every summer, there is a huge yard sale. I believe they call it the 400-mile yard sale, something like that, which seems odd to me that you would travel 400 miles for someone else's junk, but that's <clears throat> whatever. <clears throat> there, there's a huge yard sale every single year, every summer, and the school where my wife teaches and my children attend, Christian Fellowship School in Benton, they participate in this and they are the most, I guess, uh, voluminous site. They have all kinds of stuff. They will fill their gym and every classroom they can with people's stuff. And they will tell you, leading up to it, in any assembly they have, and they'll have a spring program and different graduations and so on, please bring us your stuff. They'll make over $15,000 on all that stuff. It's the biggest fundraiser of the year for the school. Huge fundraiser. What I'm fascinated by is, is yard sales in general. I don't know about you. I, I understand great fundraiser for the school and all that stuff. But when I think about that, and they're asking just for people's stuff, really what they're asking for is your junk. Bring us your junk. We'll sell your junk to somebody else whose junk it will then become, and then they'll sell it and so on and so forth. Yard sales fascinate me. Maybe, you, maybe you're a yard sale person. I'm not. I, I don't particularly care to look through other people's junk. That's just me. But maybe you love them. My grandmother is like this. She loves yard sales. She'll go and she'll find that one little thing, and maybe she's got an eye for that stuff. I don't know. But it's so interesting to me that you look around at a yard sale. If you go to Christian Fellowship, you'll see rooms and rooms and rooms filled with stuff that once really mattered to somebody. I mean, something they couldn't live without at some point. They had to have it. And now it sits in a yard sale for 25 cents and somebody will haggle you down to a dime. Really? It's only a quarter. I mean, seriously. I don't think it's worth a quarter. I'll give you a dime for it. Though. What are we talking about? Just take it. Just take my junk. I don't want it anymore. If I wanted it, it wouldn't be out here in a yard sale, you know, for a quarter. And I'm going to let you get by with, you know, with a dime for it. I'm fascinated by that stuff. Bargained away, just given away eventually. The stuff that once meant so much to us. We go through a lot of stuff, don't we? Lots of things that we go through. I had a neighbor years ago when we lived in Louisville, an older gentleman at the time, I guess he was in his mid-70s, and now he's probably in his mid-80s. And he used to joke, 
And, and he would say, he said, I wish I could be a fly on the wall after I'm dead to watch my kids have to go through all this stuff. <laughs> he said, I'm just collecting it all just so they have to go through it. We go through so much stuff, so many things. And it's interesting to see that once, what once we really wanted and couldn't live without has now become junk. Now becomes something that sits on a table and at 2 o'clock, after you've been out there making $10 for about 8 hours, you just say, please take it in your yard sale. Jesus talked about some of the things like this when he gets to the part in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, beginning around verse 19. He talked about this as a very wise teaching that we're going to look at today about stuff, about things, about our relationship with those things of this world. The series that we're in that we'll pause, of course, next week for Easter, but we'll continue and kind of wrap up in the next few weeks. The series has been called Thy Kingdom Come. The idea is what does it look like to live in and to have to, to be a citizen of, to live for God's kingdom instead of ours. And so we're to the part this morning where Jesus, so far he's stepped on our toes a little bit, no question about that. And then this morning he's really just going to stomp all over that's what he does. Jesus is good about that. And the thing about it is, is that here, Jesus is much better preacher than I am. He doesn't care. He does not care if he steps on your toes. I have to greet you on the way out the door. You know what I'm saying? I got to look you in the eyes later on. Jesus looked him in the eyes and said, I don't care what you think. Here's the truth. Here's the way it is. That's what he's going to do this morning. So I want you to look with me. Matthew chapter six. Look with me in verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 24, and then in two weeks, we'll pick it back up in verse 25. But here's where we're going to be this morning. He says this, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect treasures for yourselves in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. Like I said, there, there's, there's some really strong and very wise teaching in these few verses, and he'll continue it next, next time we look at it. But what, overall, what he's saying here, and to kind of give you the overall principle today, just out of the gate, just very first, write this down. You've got it on your outline there. The overall principle I really believe Jesus is teaching us here is that living mainly for this life is a bad investment. A very bad investment. Living mainly for this life is a very bad investment. He talks about it. He says in verse 19, don't collect. Some of your versions may say, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. What's he talking about? He's talking about treasures, he says. The things of this world. Now, when I look at the scripture and when I consider life, there are two main categories here. You may want to write these down. They're not going to be on your outline. But maybe write these things down. Two main categories, I think, that we look at and we treasure and we try to collect and we try to store up. The first is our possessions. It's essentially what I appear to have or what I want to appear to have. So it's my possessions. You think about these things. We store up a lot of these things. We treasure where we live. 
the kind of home that we might have or the kind of home that we want to have one day. We treasure what we drive. I I got a truck not long ago. I really like it. It's a nice truck. 2010 Ford F-150. Hadn't had a truck in a long time. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I just didn't, I didn't feel right without a truck. I was driving a car. It was a nice car. Liked the car. But it wasn't a truck. My son Duke had been on me for about a year. He said, Daddy, I'm going to buy you a truck for your birthday. <laughs> I said, all right, pal. He said, it's going to be a red 4x4. Four four. So as we began to look at trucks, I had to get, of course, a red 4x4 four four because Duke was not, he wasn't going to ride in it. That's just the way it was. But, you know, I like the truck. I really do. I like it. It's nice. I enjoy it. And I like to take care of it. And maybe you're like that. And, I, you know, I like to keep it clean and so on. It's a treasure, isn't it? Sometimes the things that we drive. Or maybe it's what you wear. And, and you are caught up in making sure that you look right and you have the right things to put on and so on. You look in your closet and it's full, but I don't have a thing to wear. Fellas, you know what it's like, right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> That's maybe not a fellas thing. But, but you look in your closet and you know, I don't have a thing to wear. It's what we wear. It's, it's what we own. It's the things that we have. You know, the stuff that's ours. Uh, maybe maybe we, we, we say, you know what, finally, if I get these things, then I'll be satisfied in life. It's the stuff that we have, and, and not always is it, is it tangible, something we'd hold on to. Maybe you say, you know what, I, I have an education, or I have some experience, or I have some expertise in a particular area, whatever it may be. I think possessions is one category here of treasures that we can store up. I think the second is status. You've got possessions, you've got status. Status is who I appear to be. Possessions, what I appear to have. Status, who I appear to be. Now, our status is based on a lot of things. Maybe it's based upon the job that you have. And and you appear to be someone who is successful because you're in that line of work or in that position at your place of business or your organization or whatever. Or you say, you know, if I could only get to that job, if I could only maybe achieve this, then I would have some status I could be proud of. For some, and particularly I think when it comes to young people, though we don't grow out of this, I don't think completely as we get older, for some your status is based on the circle of friends that you have. And if you just find a way in to be with, with those people, then maybe, maybe you'd have the status that you look for. Now, adults, you know it doesn't get any better because it's not so much the friends that we have, but the associates that we have, the names that we can drop later on. That's what we do. Maybe it's an image for you. That you say, you know what, if I could just appear to be this kind of person. I don't really have to be that kind of person. I just need to appear to be that kind of person. I want the, the approval of other people. And, and listen, this, this is a sinister thing even in the Christian world because so many of us want to appear to be great spiritual people. I see this all the time. Most folks will want to appear to be very spiritual and very Christian for me. Why? Because I'm a pastor. And they figure if they've got my approval, hey, all right, I must be good with God then because, hey, he thinks I'm pretty spiritual. We don't have to, uh, to even be that way. We just try to appear that way. Some of us, uh, we want our status to be that we, we want to retain our youth at all costs. I've tried to do this, but, but every year I, I, I have another birthday. And I'm getting older. I'll be 40 this year. I, 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 I'm not, I know that's not old, but I ain't never been 40 before. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you say, well, you know what, I, I'm about to turn 80, 70, 60, 50, whatever it may be. Listen, I ain't ever been this old before. And, 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 and there's part of me that says, you know, I went to a baseball game yesterday, and I, I'm looking out and thinking, Mike, still do it. 
still do it. Until I throw to Hank in batting practice, I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I can still do it. No, we want to retain our youth, don't we? So we do all kinds of things to hang on to, to who it is that we want to appear to be. Maybe it's our, our accomplishments or our reputation or just sort of being in. But status, I think, is something we treasure so much. And those are the treasures of this world. The things that matter so much to us, our possessions and our status. The things that we'll pursue at nearly any cost. The things that we measure ourselves against everyone else. Well, I have more. I don't have more. I don't have as much. Or I am better. Or I'm not as good. Our possessions, our status become what we measure ourselves with. And it's the things that Jesus says, that's such a bad investment. It's such a bad investment. Now let me tell you what he's not saying. What Jesus is not saying here, uh, that storing up treasures in, you know, in heaven versus treasure, he's not saying that possessions are in and of themselves bad. There's been a whole line of thinking throughout Christian history that says, well, it, it, Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. So I, it must be that everything I have is bad. That's not what he's saying. There, there are some people in the scripture who were very wealthy and loved God with their whole heart. Doesn't mean that having things is inherently bad. It's not about what you have, it's about our relationship to those things. He's not saying that status is bad. That if you're a high profile person, a very successful person in the eyes of the world, that somehow you are less than godly. It's not what he's saying. Because if you read the scripture, there were many people who followed God with their whole heart. King David was one of them. He was a king of an entire nation. God called him a man after his own heart. Status in and of itself is not bad. What he is saying is that living mainly for those things is a really bad investment of your life. And he'll give us some reasons about that. He, he doesn't say just don't do that. Just don't do those things. You realize that when God tells us something, he doesn't just do it arbitrarily and says, well, don't do this. Why? Because I said so. God's a better parent than that. You ever done that, parents? You ever, why, 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 why don't you want me to do it? Because I said so. That means I don't really know why or I don't really care to take the time to explain to you why or I really haven't formulated mine. I look, just stop doing whatever you're doing because I said so. God's not like that. God is not like that in any way. He says, don't do these things or do these things for very good reasons, practical reasons, very spiritual reasons, helpful reasons. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about as we get into this a little bit more. He's going to tell us the problem with things, those things of possession, those things of status. He's going to give us the problem. And it begins in verse 19. He says it this way. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do what? They destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What's he saying? First thing he's saying about things is things don't last. They don't last. The moth back then, of course, was widely, widely known during that time as something that would, would destroy and eat away at your clothes. They didn't have Serval. They didn't have McGee Pass Control. They didn't have places like that to come in and spray and take care of all that stuff. You may not have a moth problem anymore, but they did. The moth was a constant threat to what they had. One day they put something on, they wear it. The next day they put it on, it's got to be a hole in it because there was a moth that got in there and took care of it. Rust, of course, destroyed back then and still does today. Over time, things break down, don't they? Things don't work as well or perform as well as they once did. And he says not only that, but thieves will break in and steal. Not only do they have to worry about the moth and the rust, but maybe somebody took their stuff. Things don't last, he says. That was then, this is now, and things haven't changed. Because things still don't last. Now, it may not be a moth that's eating your clothes, but you know as well as I do that fashion trends change all the time. Your clothes still don't last. 
What once was out is now in, and what once was in is now out, but hang on to stuff, right, because it's coming back. That's what you always say, right? Never throw away a tie, because someday some kid's going to wear it on television, and everybody's going to look at it kind of funny at first, but because they're entertainer, now everybody goes out and buy that stupid looking outfit. That's just the way that it goes, right? And then how, you know, somehow that stupid looking outfit is what everybody's wearing. And we all look stupid together, right? But nobody knows it because we think it's cool because some guy wore it on television. It's just the way that it goes. But it changes all the time, doesn't it? You know, what, what, what you used to wear, you don't wear anymore. What, 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 you, what you will wear tomorrow is not what you're wearing today. It's just like the moth that used to, to destroy. And certainly rust still takes a toll on our things, whether it's a car or some possession or your body. <laughs> you feel a little rusty sometimes. Thieves are still at work to take our things. We're talking about here possessions and status. You, you may have the best security system installed in your home to prevent or to ward off any kind of break-in. So people may not steal your stuff, but you and I cannot stop Father Time from stealing our youth and our health, can we? There are still thieves, and it goes on and on. What I appear to have and who I appear to be will not last. One day, somebody else is going to have my stuff. That truck I love so much, one day, somebody else is going to have it. Duke, probably. Not Hank, no, Duke, sorry. One day, I I won't be so young anymore, right? And some of you say, amen, you're right. One day, I won't be as influential as I am now in my job, in my work, whatever it is that you do. One day, I won't be able to do the things that I can do now. And some say, amen, boy, I remember, used to be able to do this, and now I can't anymore. One day, somebody else will take my place at work. One day, the business will close. One day, I'll be fired. One day, I'll quit. One day, nobody will remember what I did, or they won't care. You see how things don't last? When I was in high school, uh, our shortstop, uh, along with myself and two other players, we, we were on the same grade, and we, we were the four guys that all were on the varsity team as freshmen. We called ourselves the Fab Four. We were very humble. We we all graduated at the same time. We had set school records for wins three years in a row. Our class was the winningest class in school history. And our shortstop, his name is Andre, he goes to our coach and he says, Coach, what are you going to do next year without the Fab Four? You gotta understand our coach, he, he doesn't he's not a respecter of persons, as the scripture says. He doesn't a bit more care about who you are and what you've done, you know. He looked at Andre and he said, Let me tell you something. He said, Somebody is gonna be wearing number eleven next year. That was his number. He said, Somebody's gonna be wearing number eleven next year. He says, Somebody's gonna be playing shortstop. So let me tell you what we're gonna do without the five four, you know. They went on to win another state championship out of it. They didn't need us, you know. But isn't it interesting? We think that what we have and who we are is so valuable. And it's, oh, you can't live without me. And guess what? Somebody's going to be doing your job one day, aren't they? Somebody's going to have your stuff. Things don't last. And Jesus says, believing anything else is just foolish. And it's a bad investment. Things don't last. Secondly, he goes on, verse 22 and 23, he's going to tell us that things can cloud your vision. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? The the eye here is a metaphor. It's a symbol. 
for, for what you're taking in, how your life is being guided. It's a symbol for your heart. It symbolized what you fixed your mind and your heart on, the things that you were focused on. So he's talking about being focused on things of this earth. What I appear to have, who I appear to be. And he says that those whose eyes are fixed on those kinds of things live in darkness whether they realize it or not. They're like a person without sight. They can't see. Or at least their vision is clouded. And so what happens when we place our focus on who I, who I appear to be, what I appear to have, or what I want to appear to be, or, who, or what I want to appear to have, what happens when we do that is that our eyes, our figurative eyes go bad and we can't see life for what it really is. We can't make judgments properly. We misjudge things. We misjudge the, the true value of things. We overvalue things that don't last and we undervalue things that will last. We, not only that, we misjudge the value of people. Things become more important than people to us. And we've all seen this happen. And maybe you've done it. What I, what I want to appear to have and who I want to appear to be trumps everything and everyone in my life. And it's a real easy trap to fall into. And many a family has been ruined by someone in the family, whether it's mom, dad, one of the kids, whomever, by someone in the family who put the pursuit of what they wanted to appear to have and who they wanted to appear to be above everybody else. We misjudge the value of things. We miss out on the things that we don't want to miss. And lots of regret follows. And some of you are there this morning. And you say, I was so bent on having this and doing these things and being this person. And now I missed it. I missed it all. Not only that, but these, these things cloud our vision and we get a false sense of security. We begin to think that this is really what matters. These are the things that will help me through all of my life. And, and we develop a wrong sense of security. They cloud our vision. Jesus says not only do they cloud vision, he says, but if the light within you, verse 23, is darkness, how deep is that darkness? This is not just for those folks out here. This is for those of us who claim to live in the light, the light of Jesus Christ. This is a temptation not just for those worldly people, but for us as Christians. This is, because we live in this world, a very real temptation for us. And he says, if you are a person who claims faith in Jesus Christ, and yet you are driven and controlled and, and obsessed with what you want to appear to have and who you want to appear to be, then, boy, you live in real darkness and don't know it. He goes on in verses 21 and then the first part of 24, and he talks more about these things, and he, and he, he gives us the point that things can control you. Not only don't they last and can they cloud our vision, but they also can control us. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then look at the, begin the beginning of verse 24. No one can be a slave or can serve two masters, since he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. What he's talking about is these things, these, these possessions, this status, they can control us. Now it happens so, so easily, doesn't it? I, I see what, what I want to appear to have. I see who, who I want to appear to be and I will stop at nothing to get those things. Now you may not be willing to admit that this morning. But maybe God speaks to your heart and he convicts you in some way. And he says, look, you better listen this morning. Because you're going down a path of being controlled by the things of this world. Instead of being controlled by the kingdom of God. I, I think I'm in control. 
But it's those things that now control me. Because why? Because I'm not happy without those things. What is it that you're not happy without? That's what's controlling you. What, what is it that you will sacrifice anything to get or to achieve? What is it that you can't be satisfied without? Those are likely the things that are controlling you. Look at your spare time. Look at your money. What is it that, that is, is given toward those things? It's, it, that's what controls you. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and 6. Just write this reference down. Maybe you go back and read it later on. I preached a, a series on Ecclesiastes a long time ago. One of my favorite series because it's a book that's kind of uh, uh, enigmatic. It's kind of odd. And yet it was one of my favorite series to preach because I learned so much through it about what God was trying to say. Ecclesiastes 5 and 6 talk about how things come to control us. And here are some of the principles. You don't have to write all these things down. Just let, me, let me rattle them off for you. And you'll understand why it is such a difficult thing to break free from this control. Ecclesiastes, the writer, makes these points. The more you have, the more that you are tempted to step on other people to get more. That's what he says. The more you have, the more you want. You ever found that to be true? I heard the old story of the man that had so much money, and they, they asked him, he said, how, how much would be enough? And he said, just $1 more. <laughs> Sometimes the more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more people want from you. You ever found that to be true? Some random relative shows up. They heard you had something. They want a little something from you. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. Ain't that the truth? You know what I worry about now? Somebody dinging the door of that truck. You know where I park? Back 40. That's where I park. Way out. You ever see me at Walmart walking through the parking lot? It's, it, I'm, I'm not just trying to get exercise. I don't want anybody dinging the door of my truck. Stay away from my truck. It's a red 4x4. Four four, you know? Get away from my truck. You know what I'm talking about? The more you have to worry about. The more you have, the more you have to lose. You know what? I, if, I, if I wreck that truck... It ain't paid off. You know what I'm saying? The car was paid off. So again, some of you are like, well, you dummy. You know, well, yeah. The more you have, the more that you're going to leave behind. It's just like my neighbor. Ecclesiastes makes the point. The more you have, the more likely you're de- you, you are to depend on it for your happiness. Isn't that the truth? The more you have, the more disappointed you'll be when it goes to somebody else for whatever reason. The more you have, the more confused you'll be when it doesn't solve all your problems. Boy, I just thought if I'd reach this, if I'd have this possession, this status, well, we're easily controlled. Jesus knows this. We're easily controlled by the things of this world. Our thoughts, our decisions, our actions, our plans, our dreams, ultimately our convictions and our beliefs can become so driven by our desire to appear to have something or appear to be somebody in the eyes of this world that we lose sight of God's kingdom. And it's interesting that what God has given us to enjoy often becomes what controls us. He's given us things to enjoy. I really don't think there's any problem with having something that you enjoy to drive. Hey, all right. But it can control you, can it? I don't think there's any problem with having a place that you enjoy living in. Seem to be a problem in Scripture, but sometimes it can control us. That's what Jesus is saying. And he goes on in verse 24, he says, It's impossible to serve two masters. He's not talking about how I'm having two different jobs here. Well, I go to one and these days, and I go to the other, two part time jobs. It's not what he's talking about. He uses the terms very carefully. He uses the terms slave and master very, very carefully because he wants us to understand this isn't about having two employers, it's about having two owners. And that's impossible. 
A thing cannot be owned, a slave cannot be owned by two different owners. That's what he's saying. You will either love the one and hate the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, he says, God and things. Why can't you? Because they make competing demands. They each demand complete loyalty. And they each aim to control us. They, they, they can. Things can control us. That's a problem with it. That's why it's a bad investment. And then finally he says this. He says things can ruin you. Verse 24, the end of it, puts it like this. You cannot be slaves of God and money. What's he saying? You're going to live in one kingdom or the other. That's what he's saying. You, you will be, as he, as he explained there before in, in verse 24, you're going to be devoted to one and not the other. You're going to love one, not the other. It's just the way it is. Serving God means doing His will. And the ultimate of doing His will, by the way, is to believe in the one that He sent. That's Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. To receive His grace in salvation and also in growth and sanctification in Him. To trust in His provision. To live by His priorities. To obey His word. To live as a citizen of His kingdom. That's what it means to be a slave of God. To serve the treasures of this earth means that I am determined to appear to have something or to be someone. And that little by little, by little by little, my devotion, my decisions uh, are mainly about this world. And so I compromise here and there what I believe about God and so on. And Jesus has been talking about it all along in chapter 6. If that's what we want, he says, that's all you're going to get. That's the reward that you have. And he, he alludes to the fact that in the end, you'll realize you've been wrong all along. You ever met a person that gets to the end of their life with so much regret? I've been living for all the wrong things. Often is the case, unfortunately, we don't see when the regret comes. Because it comes after this life is over. It comes after they realize, I lived my life for myself and the things of this world, and that's not all there was. And Jesus was right, and God is real, and the gospel was truth. And it's too late. In the end, we'll realize that Jesus is right, that things can ruin you. And so what do you do? What's the remedy? How can I keep from living for these things that don't last, that cloud my vision, that can control me and that can ruin me? Jesus gives us the answer in verse 20. He says, don't store up in verse 19 treasures on earth, but in verse 20, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. And he doesn't specify all that that involves. But we can assume that it's the opposite of living for the treasures of this world. And so let me give you one challenge as we close today. Just one challenge for this week. Just just seven days. Between now and next week, let me encourage you, consider, think about, pray about, talk to God about, figure out with your friends and, and other, other believers, here, what can I do? How can I use things to invest in God's kingdom? Here's what I'm not asking you to do this way. I'm not asking you to hold a gigantic yard sale where you divest yourself of everything that you own. Don't do that. Nobody wants your junk. Okay? Don't do that. I'm not, I'm not saying that you need to go and quit your job and, and, and live as, an, you know, as someone with a different status. What I'm saying is, how is it that you can use what you have and who you are and who you appear to be for God's kingdom? 
Jesus says, don't store up for your tre- yourselves treasures on earth. Don't put your focus on that. Don't live mainly for this, for this life. That's a bad investment. Instead, turn your focus toward God's kingdom. How is it that I can use all that, it, that God has given me, who I am, what I have, how can I use that for his glory and his kingdom? How can I invest those things in what will last? Ask yourself the question this week, when I die, what, what's going with me? When this world is over, what will still be there? And I think you'll come down, at least I do, to really just a few things. You'll be there. Me, I, we, we'll be there somewhere. I wonder, would you take the time to invest spiritually in your life to say, you know what, I I have been created to live forever somewhere. I wonder, will you invest in that? Will you understand the gospel message? Will you receive that message of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection given for you? You'll be there. Other people will be there. Would you make the investment? Consider how it is, Lord, can I use what I have and who I am this week for that person that I'm around all the time that's going to spend eternity somewhere? Listen, this week is a great opportunity to take advantage of that. Easter's coming up. Easter's next week. You can tell them, hey, look, we got two services. I'm going to the the early service. I'm going to the second service. Why don't you join me? Maybe they're looking for a place. This week is a perfect opportunity. Well, they're going to bite my head off. Probably not. Probably not. Probably they'll say, well, I don't don't know. But they'll at least know that somebody cared about them enough to invite them to church to hear the message of the gospel. People will be there. Jesus will be there. How can you invest this week in the work of Jesus around the world? Aaron went on a mission trip, just came back. How can you invest in things like that? How can you say, Lord, send me? How can I use things? What I appear to have, who I appear to be, how can I use those things to invest in God's kingdom and not my own? That's the question. That's the challenge this week. I pray that you receive it. Let's bow for prayer. As you focus in maybe on what the Lord is saying, I think so much of this can be really subtle. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you about something. Maybe you've put your hope and, and your trust in the things of this world. And you just say, Lord, I confess it is sin. God, I'm living for all the wrong things. And the Lord's not here to shame you. He's here to forgive you. He's here to give you a new outlook on life, a clear vision of what He wants. And to send you right back out into where you are and where you live and with what you have and with who you are with a brand new vision to see his kingdom expand through what you have and who you are. Would you spend some time just in these moments talking with him about it, committing to him to use your things, your possessions, your status for the kingdom of God. He'll show you what that means. He'll show you how to do it this week. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the things that we have, for the possessions and the status that we might have, whether we feel like it's a lot or a little, whether we like it or we don't. Lord, we thank you that you have given us life and that you have loved us and that our very next breath, Lord, comes directly from you. We thank you, Lord, for the cross, our status as people loved by you, someone that Jesus died for. 
And Lord, this week, we pray that you would show us as we commit to you. We pray you'd show us how to use those possessions and that status, whatever it may be, to invest in your kingdom. Lord, give us courage this week to speak with someone, to invite someone to join us on Easter Sunday. Lord, help us to live for your kingdom and no longer be controlled by the things of this world. Set us free, Lord. And as the song says, may we stand on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ, not the shifting sand that is the things of this world. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for loving us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close with this song?